I'm not going to say much for this opening take. It's Texas week. Everyone knows the significance of the game. Everyone knows that it's the most unique atmosphere in all of college football. Everyone knows the game is monumentally important for the two fan bases that meet every year at this time at the State Fair of Texas. What nobody knows at all is how this game is going to play out. Over the next hour or so, Lee and I are going to break down the Red River shootout from every angle. Lee will talk about what he's seen on tape. I will attempt to fill in the gaps with advanced statistics. On paper, we're going to give you a very good idea of who has advantages and disadvantages going into this game. The problem is, the history of this game suggests none of that matters. This is a random game. Weird stuff happens for weird reasons. Oklahoma absolutely dominated this game last season and still needed a long Baker-Mayfield touchdown to win in the fourth quarter. Texas completely dominated Oklahoma in 2014, but the Sooners still left the Cotton Bowl with the golden hat in tow. That's just two examples, and there are many more. So I will just say this. Try to soak it in. Try to enjoy it. This is as good as this sport gets. And Oklahoma and Texas meeting in October, both as ranked teams, is just really great for college football. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Second and 11. Sermon splits out. Anderson on the carry. Cuts back. Inside the five. Reaching for the end zone. And in. 15-yard touchdown run. Rodney Anderson welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. Anderson had 10 carries for 48 yards in that one touchdown last year in Oklahoma's 29-24 win over Texas. With Anderson unavailable this season, we'll see if a different running back steps up this Saturday. That'll be one of the talking points in the upcoming podcast, I'm sure, when we discuss the Oklahoma offense and the Texas defense. We'll bring Grant back here in a moment, and then we'll start talking about the Red River Showdown or Red River Rivalry or Shootout, whatever they're calling it this year. I think it's the Showdown this year is what they're going to go with. But real quick, I want to thank all of you for leaving us ratings and reviews on iTunes. Keep them coming if you have not done so already. I know we've gotten a lot of new listeners as the season continues on here, so thanks to all of you who have discovered West of Everest, and thanks to all of you who have been listening for a little bit longer and have told friends, have told family members, have told some hobos out on the street about West of Everest. Really appreciate that. Word of mouth is an incredible tool for growth. Also, you can like our West of Everest Facebook page if you're somebody who's on Facebook, and most of the country actually is on Facebook, so I would bet that if you're listening to podcasts, you probably also have a Facebook page. So go ahead and give us a like if you have not done so already the next time that you're on the Facebook app. And lastly, we've actually been getting some listeners of the show who contact us on Twitter. I'm at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. And you can email the show westofeverest at gmail.com. Let's bring Grant back in now. Grant, what's going on today? No, nothing much, Lee. Just sitting here hanging out with my buddy Baker Meowfield. Um, we're, Grant's we're got a night. cat. Grant has a cat. Well, first of all, everyone, people that have been listening to the podcast for a while know that Grant is now married. And you have a cat named Baker Meowfield. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. I mean, his, yeah. you know, his, his, his official name is not Baker Meowfield. That's more of just like a nickname. And I wish I could, you know, claim credit for coming up with that. But no, I actually stole that. I saw that last year. 
from somebody, so I'm not going to be here and, and, and claim credit for that hilarious name. Um, but I mean, I thought it was just, it, it was, it's, it's, it's the perfect name for a cat, is it not? Yeah, it's, <laughs> if, uh, it's a Texas house, though, it would not be a, a good name for, actually, it still would be a good name because it's hilarious. And the reason it's I brought up that, he, that, that Grant's married is because he, he, Grant's never had a cat before. You wouldn't have this cat if it wasn't for your wife. Yeah, she yeah she brought him home about three weeks ago. I think it was the it was the uh, it was the army game. No, it was Iowa State game week. She brought him home, and we we tried out some names on him, but but the only one that stuck was was Baker. And then of course we added the Meowfield later because it's hilarious. Obviously. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, before we get into talking about OU Texas, I I think it it makes a lot of sense for me to plug our first guest that we had on West of Everest. Unfortunately, Grant, you were not available to be. Uh, with me to interview my boss Dean Blevins from News 9 I actually talked to him earlier today we record these on Wednesdays so by the time that you're listening to this podcast the interview with Dean should be up as a separate podcast in the same exact spot that you always get west of Everest delivered to your phone I'm just going to upload it to the same exact feed it'll just come in looking a little different it's not going to be obviously episode 74 75 it's going to be a a standalone interview with Dean and uh, if, if we can start figuring out other interviews moving forward, then we'll try to do more and more of this. Dean and I talked for half an hour. He, uh, I, I was hoping to get a little more time, but he had a, another interview actually lined up after after mine. So he just it's OU Texas week, so he's got radio stations calling them doing interviews. So uh, still, it was good for thirty minutes. A couple of things that kind of piqued my interest that I didn't know. He says something about the two thousand OU Texas game when, uh, of course. Quentin Griffin had six touchdowns, and OU just destroyed Texas. And uh, he said something about that game that that I did not know, and I thought it was pretty interesting. And also, another part of the podcast, we talk about Kyler Murray, of course. And Dean's not 100% convinced, actually, that Kyler Murray is going to play baseball after this year. Now, he has some compelling arguments that, I mean, I... I didn't fully go in and say, I don't know about that, Dean, because honestly, the reasoning he gives is it's hard to argue against. It's it's just it's basically uh, well, he's got a pretty reliable person that he's kind of banking on. And if you listen to the interview, you'll understand what I mean by that. So a couple of interesting points. And uh, of course, we talk more about this upcoming OU Texas game. And uh, at the very end of the, the podcast, we talk about Baker Mayfield. Uh, not as much as I would have liked because I could tell him and I, we could have probably talked about Baker Mayfield haters for about a whole separate 30 minutes, but uh, we only had about six to seven minutes to talk about Baker Mayfield and I thought that was kind of fun too. So if you're, uh, if you're interested in more discussion, a more in-depth look at OU Texas from somebody who's not only covered OU Texas for 40 plus years, the guy, Dean, has been there in the Cotton Bowl playing in the game. He knows what it's like. And so... Uh, Great to get his perspective. So, Grant, you have not heard this interview yet, so I'm sure you're going to be just excited, excited to listen to it when it po- when it comes into the your podcast feed later on uh, later tomorrow. I mean, I am, I am, I, I'm really interested to see what he has to say. Um, yeah, Lee, guests on the show is something that I that we have been discussing really for about a year or so. It's just logistically really difficult to pull off uh, with us being you know thousands of miles apart and whatnot. Yeah. So what yeah. what. Yeah, you know, my vision, I would really love to get guys on here who who really disagree with us, and we could have, you know, disagreements and, and arguments about that. I think that'd be really entertaining. Same um, here. That'd be fun. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's 2018, and every year technology is getting better, so who knows? We, we might be able to figure something out at some point in time. Yeah, it was funny because I said, 
you know, it's sorry, Dean, my brother's not going to be able to be on here. And he said, oh, he's not going to make it. It's like, well, you know, he's in Minnesota and uh, it's it's 1030 a.m. And I don't didn't think he could tell us tell his uh, work that he had to step away for an hour to do a podcast. So he, he laughed. That was thought that was pretty funny. He thought it, he didn't know that you were uh, in Minnesota. So apparently whenever people listen to the show, they have no idea that we're in two separate places, hundreds of miles away. So we're doing something right. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I, I think it, it generally sounds good. We don't have any of that crap Skype quality audio going on that you hear on some podcasts <laughs> around around the ether. So at least Which, we got that going for up, us. If we end up having more guests, we might have to deal with that, <laughs> that quality yeah, that's actually on how we do it. <laughs> that's actually the reason why we haven't gone to it, because we, we could do that pretty easily. We could Skype someone in, but we don't want we don't want it to sound like someone's talking through a soup can. It just sounds awful. So yeah, we'll continue to figure out logistics, and uh, if, if if we get a lot more feedback from you all out there that, that you like, you want more guests, you want to hear more guests, then maybe we'll uh, we'll we'll put a little more effort into it to try to to figure out how to get more people on here who actually do yeah who do disagree with us because that's the best kind of debate. I mean, Grant and I agree a lot of the time, but we do disagree sometimes, and we've heard feedback from people that that's some of the best parts of this podcast. So uh, let's get into OU Texas, and first off. I don't know how long we're going to discuss this. Maybe not that long, but Grant, last year's game, I went back and watched it earlier this week, and it just reminded me that OU dominated the first 25 minutes of the game, was up 20 to nothing, and I was watching it thinking, oh, that's right. This, this was so frustrating because Oklahoma should have gone on to win this game by minimum four touchdowns, but then just a, a, a good special teams play by Texas, a nice kickoff return that was ended by a a dumb late hit by Chance Sylvie where, yeah, it was the right call, but it was still, it was just kind of like, ah, that's kind of ticky-tack. Added 15 more yards onto the play, and then legitimately the very next play from scrimmage, there was a horse collar tackle. Maybe it was two plays later. There was a horse collar tackle called against, I can't remember if it was Khalil Houghton or Oboe. I can't remember who it was, but it was... And it was that was it was even more ticky-tack than the roughing call, the late hit call, but still technically if I was... You know, if, if my favorite team was playing offense and that had happened, I would have been like, yeah, that's a horse collar tackle. So it was kind of ticky tack, but also it was easy for the the referees. They're, this sounds like we're being homers, but I really think it's true. It seems like at the OU Texas game, what's the old line that Oklahoma's got to make sure to be at least, what, 10 points better than Texas because the referees are going to probably favor Texas? Yeah, that's what Barry Switzer used to always say. So, yeah. you know, I mean, who who knows if that's true throughout time? I generally, am, am, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to go back and, and rewatch. I guess we don't have, we don't have, it. yeah, we don't have 100% evidence. So, that's but not I, fair I will to say this. That out there. I will say this: the officiating in the game last season was horrendous, and it was one sided. And so, it usually takes a lot for me to say stuff like that. Last year, it was pretty terrible. Another thing that reminded me too of of yeah where you're probably right about that do you remember of course you do later in the game second half uh, baker it was third and one he had to get rid of it because texas got some pressure on him and he kind of threw it away and a second guy came in and hit him after he threw it in the head area and that's kind of actually when he he injured his shoulder it looked like and it should have been a late hit and i remember after the game that on on dean and and i guess lincoln riley's coaches show with dean i remember lincoln riley was Maybe it was it was either on the coach's show or even in the post game presser. He was mad that that wasn't uh, called a penalty for a late hit, uh, which would have given Oklahoma a first down. And and I mean it was basically a hit to Baker's helmet, 
in head and neck area late and they didn't call it yet you know they had no problem calling the late hit against Devontae Lampkin which was ticky tack later in the game when Ellinger went down and and so yeah I you said that there was some bad officiating and that that play came to mind do you remember that play yeah, I do. The officiating in that game last year, Lee, was horrendous. It was terrible uh, on every single level. It it single handedly kept Texas into the, in the game, and like I, 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 it really does take a lot for me to get upset that much about officiating because generally I do think it goes both ways. Generally, officials are always bad, terrible in both directions. Um, but in this game, it was it was pretty clearly one sided, in my opinion. Um, yeah, Lee, that late hit on Baker that kept him out of practice that entire week leading up to the Kansas State game. That's right, yeah. And then that's why we saw tons of the Wildcat with Dimitri Flowers in that Kansas State game, we later found out, because they they just, he, I mean, it, Baker's arm looked fine. I mean, he still was able to sling it, but clearly there was some discomfort there a lot of the times, and they didn't want Lea, to take Lea, any hits. Sorry, sorry about this, Lee. I do want to back up real quick. Um, I know we've moved on from Baylor, but did you see... Lee, that Matt Rule in his in his press conference on Monday, and I saw quotes on Twitter. He brought up that he was upset uh, on the Caleb Kelly hit on Charlie Brewer. Did you see that? No, no, I didn't. When when you know, of, of course, it completely it probably just completely lost his or uh, it completely uh, he completely forgot that his uh, his quarterback was the beneficiary of two incredibly ticky tack personal foul calls earlier in that game on third down that extended drives. Um, and also, and also the reason Charlie Brewer got killed on that play is squarely on the shoulders of Matt rule, by the way, because the game was effectively over yet. They were still dropping back to pass and because the game was over, they had all their starters in and they were still throwing on every single possession. And I was glad Mike Stoops actually said something in the post game about that. And he's like, well, if you're going to keep throwing, we're going to keep blitzing. And that was absolutely right. I was sitting here watching the game with my wife and, uh, she even commented on how brutal the hit looked because you know he bent totally backwards, and I, and I sort of got upset because I was like, that's one hundred percent on Matt Rule that hit right there. He almost got Charlie Brewer, you know, hurt for the entire season because I mean that looked, that, that that's what you get when you have your starters in and you're still chucking it around the field trying to score on every single play. It's stupid. Have you heard these rumors about? how a surprising next NFL coach is actually Matt Rule. Have you heard stuff like that? I heard something like that recently. I saw that. Yeah, I saw that kind of like around the beginning of the season. Matt Rule was uh, was on the short list for the Colts job when, when their job right. was open this winter. I don't um, get that. I don't like it. He, he, he yells at all of his players on the sidelines and always looks like he's annoyed. I've, my, my opinions have kind of changed on Matt Rule quite a bit in the last like 72 hours. Also, too, I remember last year, and I know we're kind of getting away from OU Texas, but I think this is kind of funny. Uh, one of our uh, most famous West of Everest listeners, Brett, my coworker, alerted me of this last year. Of course, Baylor only won that one game. Pre-game, I mean, before a game, like literally on game day, minutes before a game was starting, maybe not minutes, but maybe like a, it was during pre-game warm-ups, Matt Rule was having his team do the Oklahoma drill in like pregame warm-ups and they were getting all pumped up and going crazy it's like are you kidding me like you know easily somebody could get injured <laughs> doing that so I at, at that point I kind of thought this guy might not be uh I, I let's put it this way I don't understand how this guy could be uh this on the short list of a potential NFL job especially a head coaching job so I mean he must know the right people at least at this point in his career OU Texas that was a little bit about last year's game. Oklahoma, 
came back. Uh, big play by Baker Mayfield to Mark Andrews, of course. Didn't use that in the intro because I'm pretty sure we used that play last year after the game ended, so I figured I'd switch it up for the intro today. Uh, incredible game. Of course, Baker Mayfield's gone now. Mark Andrews is gone now. The two players that were responsible for the game-winning touchdown in last year's game is gone. Uh, let's just jump right in, Grant. Texas's offense against OU's defense. I feel like every single podcast when we do this, we're going to start with the opposing team's offense against the Oklahoma defense, just because the Oklahoma defense is the weakness for, for Oklahoma. And uh, I will say I, I did watch the entire Baylor game, and I came away feeling a little more positive about Oklahoma's defense, kind of like you were during the last podcast where you had watched more of the game than I had. So I, I, I will say this, too. I did come away thinking that, yes, Trey Brown right now probably is the best defensive back on Oklahoma. He looked smart. He made some nice plays. And I would not be surprised if he is playing a heck of a lot more. I mean, he's been playing a lot anyways, but I would not be surprised if he's starting on Saturday over Parnell Motley. And yeah, I know he's that information on this. I just I wouldn't be shocked if I mean maybe it won't happen just because Motley's kind of been a, a, a figurehead. He's been always he's been there for so long now. But I'm just saying if, if he comes they come out and Motley's not starting, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I want I want Trey Brown on Colin Johnson in this game. That I just I, I would just feel much more comfortable if that were the case. And the reason why it's just Parnell Molly is a good player, don't get me wrong. It's just he's he's so overly aggressive sometimes, it's to his detriment. And he'll he'll bite on a ball and he'll get beat. And it's just it's it's not it's it's a double edged sword. I mean, he's an aggressive player, he'll make some plays, but then he'll get beat. And the thing is the way the, the way Oklahoma plays defense, he shouldn't he shouldn't get beat the way he does because I think a lot of the times he makes these mistakes are in coverages and in situations where he's not really supposed to be aggressive. So he shouldn't be making this mistake. And uh, and that's annoying. That's annoying to me. And and Trey Brown had some nice pass breakups. And whenever that happens, it shows me that that he is, is playing the wide receiver. He's understanding what he's supposed to do. And, and he's making plays on the ball, which we didn't see a lot last year. Grant, yeah. where could... Okay, go ahead. If you Sorry, have, if you I had one... Add. Yeah, I just had one more thing to add. Uh, Dusty Dvorak on the... Uh, on on the television uh, broadcast on Saturday against Baylor, uh, you were at the game, so you, you probably didn't get to you know see or listen to a lot, but he had the best uh, description of Parnell Motley's game uh, that I've heard so far, and it's very simple. He just said, Parnell Motley is really hot and cold. He gets really hot and he gets really cold, and that's, I mean, that, that is Parnell Motley. Um, so, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. It's very it's, simple it's, yet true. It's very true. So I, I think, you know, it's... With Parnell going on, you know, going on in his career later, it's going to be how can he harness that hotness, for lack of a better word? How can he? How can he stay more? <laughs> how can he stay more consistent? Uh, because I mean, we've seen it. I mean, when he's when he's playing well, Parnell Motley is, you know, I, I thought last year when he was playing well, he was the best player on the defense. Um, so uh, we'll see. I don't know. He, he he's he can certainly be a weapon, but man, there there really are just a ton of mental mistakes, especially in moments like you said, where they're just it, it doesn't call for it at all. All right, Grant, Texas's offense, just generally, where could the Longhorns pose a problem in your estimation for the Oklahoma defense? Well, I think instinctually the first thing you think of is their huge receivers on OU's small cornerbacks. I think that's the biggest physical mismatch they have really against any team in the Big 12. Um, so you have Lil Jordan Humphrey, who is a massive human being. He's 6'4", like 240. Uh, Colin Johnson, I already mentioned, he's 6'6". Six, six. Uh, they have a tight end, Andrew Beck, who's 6'3". He's, he's kind of more of a plotter. He's not, he's not really a guy who's going to go and, and, um, and moss you or anything like that. Uh, but Colin Johnson certainly is. 
Um, so I, I think that's 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 the clear uh, physical mismatch that they have going up against Texas's offense. And so that's that's really the first thing I think of, um, amongst other things. But we'll we'll get to that later down the line. And I'll add simply Sam Ellinger. He's a player that he led Texas last year in in rushing because frankly Texas doesn't have any running backs that really can stretch the field and and he his ability to, to run the ball makes it to where he's sometimes dangerous throwing the ball dude doesn't have that great of an arm it's accurate sometimes doesn't have very good deep ball uh, he's a very frustrating quarterback to watch for me because I, I watch him and and honestly he doesn't look very good he looks like a Kind of like those those old uh, who was those old K State quarterbacks that actually one of those guys like, was it Colin Klein or something like that or yeah he so reminds the, me of Colin Klein as well and uh, there's uh, the guy they had last year that got injured and then uh, before and then Alex Delton and then Skyler no what's not his name Skyler no who am I thinking of Skyler Howard's the old West Virginia quarterback right but <laughs> back in the day um, Skyler anyways, Thompson Skyler Thompson. Is that the current Kansas State quarterback? Current. Like, the other, the yeah, the guy you're thinking of is like Joe Hubner or something. And okay. Sam Ellinger is 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 like an order of magnitude better than Joe Hubner. Joe Hubner is one of the worst starting quarterbacks in Big Twelve history. So, anyways, it's just it's frustrating to me whenever Sam Ellinger has success because he doesn't he doesn't look particularly polished in really anything. Uh, he's a big dude. Don't get me wrong. He's going to be tough to tackle. What Texas wants to do is. They go east to west a lot. They throw those bubble screens quite a bit. I mean, Oklahoma does that too, so it's not like Oklahoma's just throwing everything down the field, even though I'm pretty sure the Sooners lead the nation in average yards per pass attempt. Uh, but um, And they have the best offense in the nation statistically yet again. Texas is going to go east and west to Anya. They're going to try to do a lot of zone read with, with um, Ellinger. And it's all about just kind of keeping you off balance and getting you guessing. Not a very explosive offense, though, Grant. It just it's it's not at all. What are they averaging? I think maybe only like around five five point three yards per play. I got some uh, stats for you, Lee. Go for it. Yeah, you guys know I love S and P. They are a hundred and eighth in the country, Lee, in generating explosive plays on offense. That is very bad. They are <laughs> they they have they have zero yeah. ex, they have zero explosiveness on offense. Um, and, and that's not to say that they can't they can't you know bust off a big play they got some big receivers down the field so that's always a possibility but just on a consistent basis they're not a team um that is is really going to get huge chunk plays on you and and the statistics don't really bear that out and you know lee texas is probably the team i've watched the most outside of oklahoma this year and when i watch them that's the case i mean they're they're really not a particularly explosive team it's it's three yards here four yards here let's hit little jordan humphrey for for 15 over the middle whenever we can and then other than that, that that's that's pretty much it. They're pretty plotting, um, and they take big plays when they can get them. It's just not very often that they can get them. Let's see, Grant. And the next question I have is, how should Oklahoma defend this Texas offense? And I think uh, you made the case recently that the way Oklahoma was playing defense against Baylor is it actually think it could work well against Texas. And and I've been convinced that that might be fine. I mean, you know, I mix in, throw a couple more wrinkles, maybe some unique blitzes here and there. But uh, the, the again, you you pointed it out. Oklahoma's defense has been very, very much improved at not giving up the big play. Well, Texas is kind of incapable of getting big plays. I mean, sure. I mean, every team has them here and there. I mean, I think they had a, a decently big play against TCU for a touchdown. I think against USC, they might have had a couple. 
uh, but consistently they they can't really do it. So I kind of like the idea of Oklahoma just forcing this this offense to to make things happen, but at the same time also putting as much pressure on the quarterback Ellinger like they did on the quarterback Brewer. Where I mean Mike Stoops is not afraid to send send players in that game, and so I it kind of sounds boring, but I'd say the same kind of defensive game plan, maybe a little bit more aggressive because I did notice in last year's game that Oklahoma was quite a bit more aggressive, uh, playing more bump and run, that that press coverage that I always like to see from the cornerbacks and even some of the linebackers, so I will anticipate more of that. But uh, kind of what Oklahoma's been doing on defense, it, it's, it's not great, but it should be able to stymie Texas' offense, I think, enough for Oklahoma's, uh, Oklahoma's offense to, to get stuff done. I don't know if stymie is the correct word, um, but I, I agree that we're likely to see very similar script that we saw in every game so far, except for the Army game, whereas they're going to be playing you know, pretty safe, keep everything in front of them on standard down, so like first and second down, and they're going to really come after you on third down. That's That's been their MO all season, um, except for the Army game, and I think we're very likely to see it in this game as well. Lee, I do want to back up a little bit, you know, back where, where Texas could maybe pose a problem for OU's defense. I want to bring up an issue that a lot of people do not really think or believe or realize is an issue. Lee, I'm concerned with OU's run defense. It's It hasn't been particularly good this year. Um, I think the sack yardage really makes kind of the raw run defense numbers look a lot better than they really are. But Lee, really, when another team hands the ball to a running back and they just want to run between the tackles or, or what have you, they're generally pretty successful this year when they do that. Lee, OU is 88th, this con- or is 88th in the country in rush defense efficiency, which means... A lot of the times when 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 opponents are just running the ball, they're they're successful. They have successful plays. Um, another thing I want to bring up: they're a hundred and second in stuff rate, which means they're not getting a lot of uh, a lot of tackles that are at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage on run plays. Uh, that's concerning to me, especially with a Texas a Texas offense like with Sam Ellinger, who's a big guy who can fall forward. And that's another big problem for OU's defense so far is that guys always seem to be able to get an extra one or two yards by falling forward. That's what Sam Ellinger does. That's how he gets a majority of his yards. Um, I'm I'm generally concerned that Texas might be able to take the air out of the ball in this game, get three yards here, four yards here, make it third and three, uh, have Ellinger gain three yards on a keeper, kill two minutes off the clock, move the chains. Um, I think that's the that is the clear clear game plan for Texas going into this game, and if they don't do that, frankly, they're dumb. Yeah, that's a. Uh, as you were saying all of that, I immediately or initially was thinking, oh, come on. But now that I think more about it, you're you're right. I mean, if Texas does do that, and they they essentially utilize a sort of army type game plan where they're like, okay, we're not going to run obviously the triple option the way the army does, but we utilize the same principles of it where we're going to just get few yards here a few yards there and stick to the running game then that might be a problem the, the thing is that makes me feel a little bit better about Oklahoma's run defense is that they faced two incredibly good running backs this year and Devin Singletary and and David Montgomery and for the most part held both those guys in check and that was uh, FAU, the, yeah. you could argue that it's it's more the talent based around it so that's probably why they could have so much success against Singletary plus the game script sure and sure Singletary as well has been a little nicked up this year he might miss this week's game so I, I suppose you could use those arguments that maybe they weren't at full 100%. But at the same time, though, it is nice to see those two players held in check so well. Yeah, and yeah, and 
that's a good point as well. I think uh, I think if someone who disagrees with me would come back and say, well, you know, they really haven't been dedicating a lot of extra guys into the box to stopping the run, um, which is true. They haven't. They've been a nickel a lot this year, and they've really only had two linebackers in the middle field uh, for a majority of their snaps this season that they've been on the field. Um, another another stat I want to bring up to it just it just kind of undergirds the point that OU really hasn't done a great job of of stopping the run this year. Um, they're 97th in standard down line yards per carry. And so what that means is opposing offenses are getting past the defensive line and to the linebackers on a very consistent basis. Um, and I think Murray and Bolton's tackle numbers bear that out, obviously. Um, so, and another thing you could bring up too as well, uh, OU this year has totally flipped the script on defense. They're not giving up big plays anymore. And so and that, that's, that, that's included in the run game, Lee. Um, they are they're fifth overall in the country in in um, in preventing big plays on defense, um, and they're 18th in preventing uh, explosive running plays. So you know that's that is significant. But also when I see them 18th in that, and then I see them 88th overall in in rushing defense efficiency. That's that doesn't really add up. That tells me that guys really are just getting, you know, three, four yards here, still having pretty successful plays and getting the ball down. Like I I, I really think that Texas might if they stick with the run, they can have a game very similar to that 2015 game, Lee, where OU's defense could, could not get Texas off the field because they just kept gaining three yards here, four yards here. They were in third and three, and we'll give it to Drod Hurd and he'll keep it for four yards and fall forward. Um that's a game, and, and that's a recipe that it would. I know it, you know it, will drive us absolutely insane, and, and I think that that is there for Texas if if they want to take it, um, and, and that's assuming that Oklahoma doesn't you know do anything special or you know always you, you could always Oklahoma might come out and just play really well also, but I, I'm just saying so far through the first five games of the season, Oklahoma's run defense has not been good. That is a misnomer. They have not been good. Interesting. I haven't heard anybody bring up those points yet this week. So, uh, and and I think if you watch the games, I think it it that that bears repeating as well. I think anybody who's watched the games uh, has has I think it's been pretty curious, right? That teams really can get three or four yards without breaking much of a sweat on OU's defense running the ball. Yeah, it's. I don't know. I. I tend to think their their rushing defense has actually been fine, and yeah, it was annoying against Army, but that was more so they just they weren't properly taught how to defend that offense, and they didn't change anything. Sure, it hasn't uh, been but, it hasn't been I, atrocious. They're not getting yeah. ripped up or anything. But teams when they when they really want are able to get three or four yards. Yeah, yeah, it's just. It almost makes you wonder, though, why. I mean, I guess maybe the reason why teams aren't sticking with it is because the game script they're getting behind Oklahoma's offense is putting up points, so therefore they feel like they have to throw. Or cause, So, I mean, I guess that could be the key, too. I mean, look at Army. Yeah, I mean, Army was able to do what they did because the game was always either tied or within one possession. And so if Texas can stay there, yeah, I mean, that game script will work out perfectly to where they, in theory, could implement that same kind of offensive structure against Oklahoma's defense and and then what you're saying could could bear out and it would then you can kind of come back and say yep I told you told you <laughs> that's what they could do the I mean I hope is, I'm wrong it, I don't want to I I just I, I don't want to see though. that I mean I mean will Texas be smart enough to try to implement that uh, I mean they're and also can Oklahoma score enough points to where they they have if they want to do that they have to abandon that relatively quickly 
Yeah, that's why I think if, if OU wins the toss, I think they should take the ball right away and try to score, put Texas behind right away. And mm. I and I and I generally never think that, um, but I, I do in this case. I don't. I don't I mean, want it was the Texas. same idea. Yeah. I mean, that's what they did against Army. Yeah, took true. The ball. But I just I just really For don't. That same reason. I, I just I, I really can envision Texas being able to take the air out of the ball in this game. Um, and you know, that, that's all contingent, you know, on, on Texas formulating a game plan and also executing it. That's not to say Oklahoma can't come in with their own, with their own unique game plan and just blow all of that up. I'm not saying that can't happen. That certainly can, but just based off the first five games of the season, I think that's the obvious script for Texas if they want to win this game. And I think that's the only way they really can win this game. It's good stuff. That's good stuff. Anything else on the Texas offense, or are you ready to move on to the defense? Um, you know, I, I just let's see here. I, I had some other notes, Lee. Um, I he, bottom line on Texas's offense, guys. Texas does not have a good offense. They are a bad offensive team. They are 80th overall in offensive S and P. Um, they're just not explosive whatsoever. And really, if OU can put them behind the chains on standard downs, they're kind of screwed. So I, I think I think that should be the game plan going in for Oklahoma's defense. I'm just I, I'm not entirely sure if it will be based off of what we've seen in four out of the five games so far. Look for also to a couple more things to add. Look for Texas to, to run that option with Ellinger, especially near the goal line in the red zone. They did it last year against OU. And I mean, we saw Oklahoma had a tough time defending Army. So that's that's part of Texas's playbook running uh, running option type plays every once in a while with Sam Ellinger. Also, watch for Texas motioning quite a bit motioning backs out of the backfield trying to create matchups for Ellinger to run the ball with with not many people in the box I know that that was something that they tried to do last year as well uh, basically going empty to see if they can spread out everybody and, and get advantageous numbers for Ellinger to run like that uh, and also too they have this throwback tight end play that they ran against Oklahoma they I saw him running against Kansas State unsuccessfully where uh, they're tight end. It's basically a misdirection play. Well, they'll roll everyone to the right. The tight end gets lost and comes out the backside. So that's one of my favorite plays. I mean, I like when teams run that. So look out for that play. It's certainly in their arsenal as well on Saturday. Texas's defense against the Oklahoma offense. Uh, Grant, would you agree this is the best defense Oklahoma will have faced so far this year? Uh, yeah, without a doubt, and probably the best defense they'll see until some sort of you know postseason scenario. What do the numbers say about Texas' defense? Do you have them handy? I have them all handy right here, Lee. They are 10th. Well, you know me. I like S&P. I don't look at raw statistics. Uh, they are 10th in the country total in defensive S&P. Um, they're, they're really good, man. Um, Texas doesn't really allow you at all to put together long drives. Uh, their, Lee, their success rate allowed on defense is 34%, which is 15th in the country. And actually, uh, their success rate adjusted for down, distance, and field position. They are the number one most efficient defense in the country. Uh, they're good, Lee. And if you just watch them on tape two, boy, that's an aggressive defense. They, they get after you. Texas, though, when you go to yards per play, 4.8, pretty good. But on the flip side, Oklahoma's only given up a smidge over five yards per play. So yards per play-wise, Texas' defense and Oklahoma's defense is actually pretty close which was surprising to me. I thought Texas would be a little little better in that department. Uh, do you have anything to, to add? I mean, do you have any, you know, why is that? Do you have any theories as to why that, I mean, again, it, it's 4.8 yards per play is, is good, 4.84 to be exact, but uh, I figured it'd be a little bit, uh, a little bit lower, especially considering that the teams that Texas has played so far offensively have not been world beaters. I mean, 
they're not TCU's offense is not great. I mean USC's offense is not very good. Uh, I mean, for I guess maybe a lot of this is from that Maryland game once again, where a, this, a lot of it got skewed. Yeah. Also, Tule, uh, Texas just doesn't really give up uh, on a play-to-play basis. They just don't give up that many successful plays. Texas Lee, when they're giving up yards, they're giving it up in chunk plays because of their aggressiveness. So Lee, I said, you know, they're tenth overall in defensive S and P, and actually, if you if you adjust it for down distance and field position, they're the number one most efficient defense in the country. But that does not mean that Texas's defense does not come without does not come without warts because they certainly do. And Lee, Texas's biggest weakness on defense just happens to be OU's biggest strength, which is explosiveness. Uh, Texas is an incredibly aggressive defense. The result of that leaves is is suffocating offenses that are limited. Um, but when you do that, you leave yourself exposed on the back end. Lee, Texas is 83rd in the country at preventing explosive plays on defense. OU is the number one team in the country by far at creating big plays, and that's adjusted for S&P and whatnot as well. Um, so I think if... If, if you're looking at a game that is an OU victory, I think that there's your script right there. You're probably going to see uh, Marquise Brown break off a couple of really big plays in this game. Here's my main handicap of just this, this matchup between the Oklahoma offense and the Texas defense. I like that Texas's defense is coming off of a game at Kansas State where it faced a team that provided zero threat to complete forward passes Alex Delton started. He was three of seven for 14 yards, and he was benched at halftime for Skylar Thompson. Thompson went eight of 18 for 96 yards. Now that defense must face the best passing offense in college football. Lincoln Riley may want to test that Texas secondary immediately on Saturday with Marquise Brown. It's a young secondary, too. Which goes to your point that maybe if they win the toss, they'll take the ball. However, I will say this. I did notice last year that once Jeff Bidette took the top off in the first drive for OU and had that 50-whatever-yard touchdown pass from Baker Mayfield, the Texas defense after that possession played a super deep safety the rest of the game and didn't let anybody get behind them until Mark Andrews' long touchdown in the fourth quarter where it was just a good route combination. That's why... They were able to get Andrews wide open down the sideline. And uh, so Texas was very uh, aware of or mindful of not getting beat deep for the most part in that game after the Bidette play. So you would anticipate Todd Orlando to have that same kind of strategy going forward in this one, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I think so. Probably. I mean, that really is that's that's the biggest ace in the hole for Oklahoma is just how quickly they can beat you on a bomb down the field. Um, yeah, I mean, if I'm Texas, I'm. I might be playing kind of the Iowa State blueprint uh, of defending Oklahoma in this game because I, if I'm Texas, the the last thing I want is to is to get beat on a sixty yard bomb by C. D. Lamb or or Hollywood Brown or hell even Lee Morris now. Um, I I gotta think that their game plan is is, is heavily going to be based around them not getting burnt. Um, in that area so I I, it's going to be a really interesting chess match for sure Um, especially when you go up against this is an elite defense this is this is the only elite defense I think Oklahoma is going to see in the regular season Um, that does not mean that they can't have success against this defense they absolutely can Um, because frankly this I oh you still just has so many explosive guys on their offense I mean I I just get, I I continue to get giddy just thinking of of Lincoln Riley isolating Hollywood Brown on on the freshman Caden Stearns. Um, Lee Hollywood Brown's the most explosive college football player in in the country, 
and he's going to make a huge impact in this game. And I, I think really the only way that Texas can prevent him from not making a huge impact is if they double him or shadow him with a safety at all times. Um, but if you do that, you're opening up you're opening up a lot of things for everyone else in the offense, especially for Kyler Murray, maybe to use his legs as well. And we really haven't seen that area of explosiveness in this offense yet either, which I am telling you, we will see at some point in time. Speaking of Kyler Murray, I got to tell you, I'm a bit concerned about Murray facing a, a Texas defense like this because it'll be the best defense he's seen. And it's nothing, it's nothing, um, I guess my concerns do not come from Kyler Murray's not good enough to handle this. It's more from the unknown of we haven't seen a whole lot of Kyler Murray starts. And we certainly haven't seen Kyler Murray start against Texas. I'm just, I guess I'm just concerned to, to see, uh, concerned about, uh, I don't know. I mean, since I haven't seen him face a defense like this before, I guess I just don't know what to expect. So especially considering that Texas, watching them, watching them on film, they seem to utilize some creative blitzes. Maybe they'll, they'll drop some players from the defensive line into coverage and they'll blitz guys from different angles. And, and so maybe you want to count for certain players and, and the same amount of guys will come, but they'll come from a different angle that you wouldn't, that you didn't know pre-snap. So maybe you won't be able to slide protection over. And that kind of concerns me as well. Cause I don't know if Oklahoma has seen a team that, that blitzes this creatively yet this year. For sure. Yeah. And a lot of that is going to be on the offensive line as well. Creed Humphrey is going to have a big game. Uh, he's very important in this game, calling out blitzers and whatnot. And, and Kyler Murray is going to have to recognize that as well. So yeah, I mean, this is, this is a Texas defense, Lee, that is going to take the fight to you. They play defense the right way. I love the way Texas plays defense. Um, and they're, they're going to force the offense to make the play and not the other way around, which, which I love. And, you know, we're lucky enough that I, you know, Oklahoma has the best offense in the country still, um, and they're gonna have they're they're going to have some success in this game. It's just a matter of how much. The last thing on offense that I want to talk about last year it was Trey Sermon mostly carrying the load, Rodney Anderson getting a few carries here and there. I think actually it was twenty carries for Sermon, ten carries for Anderson. Grant, who's going to be the running back this year, if anybody, who acts as Sermon's change of pace guy on Saturday? I think everybody is really curious to see if it's going to be Kennedy Brooks because that's who everybody was talking about after the Baylor game. He was the one guy who who showed a little bit of explosiveness in the run game, and he's just a really smooth runner, Lee. So I, I think it'd be interesting to see if he gets some play. Um, Marcellius Sutton has been hurt the last two games. I wonder if you know if if he'll step back in or not. Um, it'll be interesting for sure, but I, we're, we're certainly going to see Trey Sermon start this game, and I'm I'm very very curious to see who they who they trot out there at number two. Um, I'm I, I'm kind of hoping it's Kennedy Brooks. I, I'd like to see some new blood back there. And I guess b- before we move on to what we want to see and our predictions, things like that. I, sp- I mean, injuries were a big thing in that Baylor game. Ben Powers missed the game. Kenneth Mann missed the game. Ryan Jones missed the game. No updates as far as I know on those players. I know that there has been some rumors and some reports, maybe from some of the insider uh, organizations, things like that. I, I honestly haven't really heard any of them. I'm just assuming there has been. So, I mean, that's something worth mentioning. I mean, if Ben Powers can't play, that's huge. I mean, that's one of the better offensive linemen not available. And if Kenneth Mann can't play, that's big because he's a, he's a really nice defensive end for this team. So, I, I don't know. I, I, I hope that those guys are, are back somehow and healthy, but I just remember Lincoln Riley saying after the game against Baylor that those players weren't close to being a, being available against the Bears. And weirdly enough, Lincoln Riley hasn't done any media this week, Grant, because apparently he's under the weather. He's ill. 
and he's been at practice from what I understand. So I'm, I'm sure he'll be be there coaching the game, obviously. But it's just what a what a unique, interesting scenario where OU Texas week Lincoln Riley hadn't had any media availability since uh basically since dean talked to him on the coaches show on sunday <laughs> oh man you know it's because he's just holed up just watching film he's not sick that's what i'm thinking uh no i'm sure he's not feeling well but I, I, there might be some game and chip going on there too um yeah lee i think obviously i i'm i haven't decided which is bigger i i, I think i lean towards ben powers uh being the more important guy to get back i think just because with the emergence of ronnie perkins uh in kenneth manspot i don't think there's you know, with with the starters, with, with, with Perkins filling in for Mann, there's not much of a drop-off there at all. It actually might even be a bit of an upgrade over Kenneth Mann. But I, you certainly don't like where the depth is if Kenneth Mann can't play in this game. Because if Kenneth Mann can't play, he will start. Um, and he's going to play a lot, presumably. So they on the defensive line, Lee, they really need all the bodies they can get. They, they don't need anybody hurt, um, especially a guy like Kenneth Mann. Um, even though I said, yeah, I, I think Ronnie Perkins is good, man. Did did you notice how good of a game he had when you went back and rewatched the Baylor game? He's just he's all over the field. Yeah, it didn't seem like he played enough either. It didn't seem like he was on the field for all the snaps, unless I just wasn't paying close enough attention. I don't think you were paying close enough attention. Hey, Lee, I, I let's back <laughs> let's 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 back up a little bit. I'm I'm really curious to see. Um, whether or not they're in the three four in this game more than they are in in the nickel or the four two five, um, because Texas kind of is a plotting team, and I think Texas is a, is a team that really is going to try to run the ball. So I, I wonder if they're going to try to to implement the three four in this game and get Ryan Jones on the field more. Um, I, I suppose oh, we don't yeah. even we don't. I suppose we don't know if Ryan Jones is going to play. I guess. Yeah, I mean he missed last week's game, so yeah, we don't know. That's an interesting question, and I have no insight or really any feeling one way or the other. Because they and were also, in, because they were in three four quite a bit in the game last year. In fact, there was, I mean, they, they, they were in three four pretty much exclusively all all last year. And Texas's offense just really hadn't changed a whole lot. Mm-mm. Well, since we are short on time, like normal on Wednesdays, let's get right uh, right to uh, what, Grant. What do you? You know, I'll start. What do I want to see happen in this game? This is the part where we just uh, like best case scenario. Grant, I, I want to see Oklahoma blow them out. I just, I mean, I know you can say that for every game, but just watching this Texas team, I know that the numbers, the defense sound really nice. And But honestly, when I watch this team play, it's it's a team that seems to play either up or down to their competition. And I talk about this a little bit in the, the interview with Dean as well. Uh, this Texas team, honestly, relative to to teams that you consider – I don't know, top 10, top 15 teams, teams that are you know, real nice programs in college football this season. This Texas team been very good. Uh, they they struggled a lot against Kansas State. Kansas State's not very good at all. Real, uh, I mean, it's between them and Kansas, as far as I'm concerned, is the worst teams in the Big 12. And it's just, it's so infuriating that this game, especially recently, has been so close. I mean, gladly, uh, the last couple of years, Oklahoma's won. But, man, Oklahoma's talent's just so much better than Texas, and I think the coaching matchup is just uh, so much in favor of, of Oklahoma for you know, head coaches. So I just I want to see him come out, look sharp on offense. Kyler Murray does what Kyler Murray has, has been doing, which would be great to see against a defense like this. Put that, put that Texas offense kind of in, in an uncomfortable situation, and then once Oklahoma hopefully gets up by two or three scores like it did last year, not let Texas – get any life before halftime just bury him 
put your foot on their throat. Don't settle for a field goal. Go for a touchdown, not go for a touchdown, score a touchdown, and just make it make it a fun game and a fun blowout game. That's what I want to see happen. What about you? Breaking news, Lee. I also want to see Oklahoma <laughs> blow out Texas. Uh, yeah, um, I know. Of, of, of course I want to see that happen. Um, and so, I mean, I think that goes without saying. Uh, but actually, I, I got bullet points. I got bullet points, and I got them split up between defense and offense. Um, especially on defensively, I want to see the, the the trend continue of them limiting big plays. They really are. They've been one of the best teams in the country at limiting big plays this year, which I, I will give Mike Stoops and, and his defense a lot of credit for that because that was that was just a massive issue last season, and it looks like they have they have largely corrected that um, as well. Uh, also, Lee, uh, just tackle, tackle tackle if they get to Sam Ellinger in the pocket you have to bring him down um this is a clear disadvantage OU has going into this game uh I really I really hope they can improve on their tackling uh, because that'll be huge and also Leah again on defense I want to see Trey Brown start Uh, I would like to see that and then moving over to the offense I I just want to see Kyler Murray continue his amazing season this is going to be his biggest test I don't know what to expect we have really no evidence to suggest one way or the other what we're going to see um, I just hope what we've seen the first five games is not a fluke. And, you know, I tend to think it's not. He's made some pretty incredible throws. A lot of his numbers he's put up have not been particularly fluky. Um, also, Lee, I think I'd mentioned this earlier, but I just I desperately want to see Lincoln Riley isolate Hollywood Brown on Caden Stearns. Um, there's there's a mismatch there. There really is. Caden Stearns is good. He's a good player. He's, he's a really good player for a freshman. He's a, he's a solid tackler and he makes plays. He can't run with Hollywood Brown at all. Um, so I, I, I would really like to see that. And, you know, Texas Lee, they have a really young secondary and an aggressive defense. The explosive plays are going to be there for OU to take if they can just execute, and we'll see what happens. I, I, I want to see at least, Lee, three 40-plus yard touchdowns in this game. All right, Grant. Tell me what is going to happen. Give me a prediction. It's going to be close. Um, I, I think you're. I, th- I think it's silly to predict anything else. Um, you know, if if I were Texas, I'd play that ball control all day long. Um, I'd try to emulate Army as much as possible, not with a triple option, but just with the way they, you know, tried to control the game on the clock and whatnot. Um, Lee, another, you know, an underrated thing going into this game is how much OU's defense has been on the field the last two weeks. Um, they kind of got there was some criticism that they only ran like 40 plays against army. Well, hell they only ran like 51 against Baylor. Uh, so 54, was it 54? I mean, that's still not a lot. I mean, that's not a lot of plays. So, you know, yeah, I really think Texas is going to try to limit OU's possessions. Um, I think OU is going to win. I'll say 28 to 24. This is going to be my biggest Homer pick I've ever made on this podcast. I think Oklahoma is going to run Texas on Saturday. I, I don't think this Texas team is particularly very good. And while Kyler Murray hasn't seen a, def- a defense like this, Texas hasn't seen a quarterback as good as Kyler Murray. And recent history tells us that that shouldn't matter. It's going to be a close game, and Texas could win. I mean, heck, in 2015, Oklahoma was a lot better than Texas, and Texas won the game, which was uh, – I, I may have said this before on this podcast. I can't remember. That was actually the first time I ever watched Baker Mayfield play, and I – remember watching that game and thinking what's all the hype around this guy what's they're they're losing to this bad texas team so that's a that's a discussion for another time i don't know like i said at the top it's going to be my biggest homework pick i just have a feeling 
that Oklahoma is going to win this game going away. I mean, they should have won last year's game by a bunch of points. And just a weird, fluky stuff happened. The special teams for OU is better this year, although we haven't really seen it as strikingly as we have in the first, as we did in the first two games. You know, you know, maybe we'll see it more in this game. I know Texas has pretty good special teams too. It seems like the Horns always do. But I'm going to go Oklahoma. By the way, Oklahoma is an eight-point favorite right now. I say Oklahoma wins this game, forty-nine to fourteen. That would be so awesome. You, I would be such a happy person. You have no idea that there's there's nothing better. You know, I, I think outside of maybe winning a national title, is is there a better feeling than just hammering Texas? There just isn't at all. It it feels so so good. There's not, and this is that's also a, a part of discussion I had with Dean too, and just the everything surrounding that game and what happens before the game and after the game and the feelings of each team, no matter who you are. So. <laughs> Uh, as you would expect as a player, it's like a million times more gratifying or, or terrible when you lose or win. All right, Big 12 games in week six. Let's do this real quick. Actually, you know what? Let's skip. Let's, let's skip this. Let's, let's just get to cross them off. I don't have a lot of time. I gotta, I gotta, the Thunder is playing tonight, and I got the Thunder reporter Steve McGee. He's going to ask for my help here pretty soon, so I'm going to have to get off this pretty quick. So, Big 12 games this week. Let's just let's skip that part. Let's go to cross them off. And actually, Grant, cr- for cross them off, I don't have anybody this week. Do you? I don't either. So we can oh. we can we can skip cross them off. Nothing really happened last week. And I, you know, besides that that Ohio State Penn State game where I thought Penn State was incredibly impressive, and they I came away thinking that I didn't know who was better between them and Ohio State. So I I can't cross off Penn State because I don't think I I don't think they're likely to lose again the rest of the season. The one thing I'll add to the cross them off section is I will I will put another line through Michigan who I've always who I've already crossed off like that team I barely almost lost to Northwestern and I was here I'm hearing Joel Klatt the last couple of weeks hey Michigan this team watch out for them that no it's that offense is the same it's not good it is not a good offense and I hadn't I'll admit it I hadn't watched Michigan the last couple of weeks and they were blowing teams out and I. Finally went, and I kind of fell for it, and I, I, I thought Michigan would cover the two-touchdown spread. And I watched that Northwestern game, at least the first half, and that offense looks exactly the same. It's not good. So forget Michigan. I'm going to put another line through them. They are crossed off. All right, Grant, let's pick against the spread. Michigan has replaced Penn State in your heart. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying. It has. Like, it Even totally. though Penn State has more reasons this year for me to be – you know, to hate on them than, than last year, probably. I, I, I feel you, though. I, I understand the Michigan hate. They are a poser, poser football program. And I'll tell you, won- the defense actually isn't as good as everyone says it is. It's not that it's not as good as everyone says it is. OK, well, I was about to just and I, and, and I think it's because of the offense and I kind of feel bad for the Michigan defense. Only I'm kind of upset. You just kind of stepped all over my 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 my, my soliloquy. I was about to go on about how about how Michigan is the most overrated football program in college football history. And yet you. But you know, seeing as that they have one, seeing as that they have one national title in their entire history, and it was a split national title, so that's kind of funny. But I don't know. Who knows? I'll I'll, I'll save that for another day. All right, picks. I I should, thought that was good stuff on Michigan, though. Uh, picks. Okay, so I was two and three last week. Grant, congrats. You were three and two, and you and you liked a lot of games last week. So good on you. And uh, our overall record for the season is the same. Again, we're each 12 and 13. So not great against the spread. Not great at all. Not horrible, but uh, we're, not, we're not winning anybody any money, put it that way. 
let's see. First off, uh, we got a Big Ten game here. Kind of a, an interesting one. We got Iowa on the road at Minnesota, Grant's alma mater. And Iowa's a seven-point favorite. Whew. Uh, the fact that you put this on here, Grant, makes me think that you have some strong thoughts either way on this one. You go ahead first. Yeah, well, I'm, I I like Iowa in this game. Um, I, I, I don't think Minnesota's going to be able to score, to be honest with you. Um they're just they're really banged up. Uh, the best player on their team, Antoine Winfield Jr., who I told you it was he he's all American good. He's that good. He's a safety. Um, he tore his Achilles two weeks ago against Maryland, and he's out for the season. I, I don't I don't really see how the defense recovers from that. He was such a focal point of the defense, and also they have a true freshman quarterback who's really banged up. And man, he sure does love to stare down his receivers. Um, <laughs> Iowa has one of the best defensive lines in the country. I. I Iowa's offense is is borderline atrocious, uh, but I, I I don't see how the Gophers score in this game. I, I'm going to take Iowa. I was going to win this game like something like 21 to seven or something like that. Ooh, wow, that's you're playing with fire if you're going to take going to lay seven points. I think the final score is only going to be two touchdowns uh, because yeah, if you're not sure I'm, I was going to score, I mean, Iowa though is coming off a bye week, so that might help. I mean, the last time they played was Wisconsin, so they go from playing. Uh, a tough team like Wisconsin to Iowa. I mean, isn't I know Iowa and Minnesota? They play for they play for some sort of trophy. Do yeah, you it's know? the pig, Floyd of Rosedale. The, there's okay. I feel like a lot of these these schools play for pig trophies. Yeah, half of half of Minnesota's schedule is trophy games. It's crazy. I don't know. Minnesota's <laughs> yeah. like Minnesota's is is a super weird program. They were like the program uh, of the before the modern era. They were like the number one program before people started caring about college football. So they have a ton of like traditional rivalry games that are that are super old. I mean that um, the their rivalry with Michigan. I think the little claret brown jug. I think that's the oldest rivalry trophy in all of college football. Of course, they have the the Paul Bunyan's axe with Wisconsin, and of course Floyd of Rosedale with with Iowa. And they have even more. I, th- I think they have a they have a trophy game with Penn State too, and they only play like once every six years. So. <laughs> I, interesting stuff. I, I I put that game on there for me. I thought it was kind of fun. I mean, it's if if you can't laugh and have fun with Minnesota football, then I mean, what can you do? And and this is interesting because actually both teams are coming off a bye, and both teams' most recent loss games were losses. I mean, Iowa you know played Wisconsin real tight at home, and then uh, Wisconsin got a late touchdown to make the game more of a. I mean, it was an 11 point game, but it was really closer than that. And then uh, Minnesota got destroyed on the road at Maryland. Hmm. Got really destroyed, like ran off the field destroyed. Like they didn't even belong on the same field. Yeah, I lean Iowa just because I, I don't trust the Gophers and I really enjoy that Iowa defense. I think that Iowa defense is good. I so I'm I'm kind of leaning towards uh, your handicap as well. How is Minnesota going to be able to score? And that that quarterback is nice, but he's a walk on. He's like a Baker. I mean, he's not Baker Mayfield, but he's a true freshman walk on, right? He's a, I've seen him play he's a, a little bit. He's a he's, quote unquote. He's, okay. he's a quote unquote walk on. He was like a so Lee, he's a he's actually from Minnesota, but he was the starting quarterback last year at the IMG Academy in Florida, uh, where where Buki graduated from actually. Um, and he was he he played Lee at Mankato East High School for three years, and was like an was like an all state quarterback in Minnesota. And he had he had he had like he had multiple Power Five offers. Um, he went to Minnesota as a walk on just I, I think just just cause. Uh, but he certainly had a scholarship for him if he wanted it. Gotcha. Okay, that's interesting. Next game, 
LSU laying two and a half points going on the road at Florida. Of course, Florida coming off nice one over Mississippi State, a game that you that you picked correctly last week on this podcast. I uh, I, I have not seen LSU play since that Auburn game, so I, I don't know. What, I, I I from what I understand, they they played pretty well last week in whoever they beat. <laughs> yeah, Joe Burrow <laughs> a lot of points. Joe Burrow had actually a pretty nice stat line, but of course it was against Ole Miss, who I who I think still does Ole Miss, okay. have still has one of the twenty five worst defenses in all of college football. So you, you do got to take that with a grain of salt. And so now you got Florida, who I remember you talking about how Florida had a pretty good defense or has a pretty good defense. You talked about that last week on the podcast, and it seemed like that was true going against Mississippi State. And now they're going up against another perceived limited offense in LSU. I like LSU, actually. Uh, I don't like him in this game because I don't know enough, but I'll lean. I'll lean LSU laying less than a field goal on the road. You know, LSU's already done this this year. They've already gone on the road in, in Auburn and, and won that game. Uh, that's a pretty confident team. And again, I, I don't I don't think their offense is as atrocious as a, and anemic as a lot of people assume it already is. That doesn't mean that they're going to be able to do anything against like an Alabama, I don't believe, because I mean, not a lot of people will do anything against Alabama. But uh, I, I kind of like LSU. Uh, I'll lean that way in this game, minus two and a half. What about you? I'll lean LSU as well. But man, my gut is just really just pulling me in the direction of Florida, but I, I can't do it because I, I just know my history too much, Lee. And Lee, over the course of my college football fandom, LSU, for me, is your Penn State of, the, of, of last year, or the last two years. I just, I, I have, I'm blinded by my hatred of LSU to the point where I just, I, I don't think that I can accurately analyze them because I hate, I hate their program so much. Um, so <laughs> I will, I, I'm just, I'm going to lean LSU just because I'm going against my 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 worst instincts. Next game, it's a Big Twelve game, so we skipped all the Big Twelve matchups. This is one of them. That's part of the picks. Iowa State on the road at Oklahoma State. OSU is a ten and a half point favorite. Seems a bit high, but when you when you learn that it, it looks like David Montgomery's probably not going to play in this game. He's injured. He's got like a a really deep bruise on his arm, like upper arm. And he had to leave the TCU game last week late in the game. You know, if he's not playing in, in Oklahoma State, yeah, it's it's such a big part of Iowa State's offense. But I think Iowa State's gotten – that's tough. I mean, yeah, I, I had them finishing higher in the Big 12 than a lot of people did. Uh, they basically needed to beat TCU to kind of have that come to fruition. They gave TCU a good game, only lost by a field goal at TCU. But you know what? I Oklahoma State hasn't been all that great at home in the last couple of years, and I think ten and a half points is way too many points to be to be laying with. Frankly, Taylor Cornelius is a starting quarterback in a defense that may not be as great as it looked in the first few weeks. It gave up all those points to Texas Tech, and then it gave up twenty eight to Kansas. I think uh, maybe one of them was a garbage time touchdown, but Oklahoma State didn't look like world beaters at KU last week. Iowa State might be limited offensively, but I like their coach a lot and getting 10 and a half points on the road. I don't think it really matters if it's on the road or not. I'm going to go with the Cyclones plus 10 and a half. I'll, I'll lean that way. Grant, what do you well, th- what do you say? I did like Iowa State, but I you broke some news for me. I didn't know that David Montgomery wasn't expected to play. So now I only just lean Iowa State. Um, I, I, I don't think Oklahoma State is that good. I, I really, really don't think they're that good. I don't. I think they're getting way too many points here. Yeah. I mean, if this was like a touchdown, I, I, I'd probably lean more towards Oklahoma State. Just, but Iowa State's over ten. Iowa State's yeah. defense is legitimately good. 
I mean, it's real. I mean, yeah. they, they they went on the road last week against TCU, who you know, I I, I know TCU kind of struggled against Texas, but man, they still put up 500 yards and 30 some odd points on Ohio State. I mean, there's a lot of really good playmakers on that TCU defense, and Iowa State shut. I mean, TCU didn't even have 300 yards of offense in that game, Lee. Iowa State's defense is legitimately good. You can make the argument, though, last year Iowa State's defense was also good, but it struggled to stop and slow down Oklahoma State late in the year. Granted, Mason Rudolph and James Washington was on that team. Mason Rudolph and James Washington ain't coming through that door, brother. <laughs> all right, so, so far, I think we've, uh, God, we're on the same side of all these, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, next one up, Florida State at Miami. Miami's laying 13 and a half. That's an, this is an interesting matchup. Uh, there is zero chance that I am taking Florida State, even if, I, even if I'm getting almost four, two touchdowns. Uh, that team is bad, man. And I, it's pretty clear that Willie Taggart's not a good coach. Uh, Miami's kind of starting to hit their stride a little bit. Sure, the offense isn't great, but I, I, have, they, have they moved on from Rozier, Rozier yep. Malik Rozier? Yep, okay. they, started, so I know, they started the other guy in, uh, in the game against North Carolina last week. If you all can't uh, figure this out, I have been very bad at watching college football so far since Saturday. The only games I've watched are Oklahoma and Texas. I haven't usually by this point. I've watched a handful of games back to get some some feelings. I have not had a chance to do that this week, and I apologize for my my lack of research in that department. However, I will uh, gladly. You know, I like Miami, even laying almost two touchdowns at home. I will. I will take the Canes. Crap, we're we're gonna have to disagree on one of these, right? To make it they interesting, don't have to. well, because yeah, I mean, I mean, this is this is the game I really like. Florida State's a bad team, and Miami's playing well, and they're at home. Um, like Miami is still like unbelievable at home, aren't they? So yeah, sure. I, I just, I mean, Florida State's terrible everywhere. So yeah, I mean, yeah, Florida State is just like I, I think, I think I've seen some people legitimately say they have the worst offensive line in the country. I mean, which is which is really saying something. Which means, I mean. If someone says that, do they realize that means they also have like a worse offensive line than like I don't know, like Eastern Michigan or <laughs> Georgia State or something? I don't know, but yeah, I like Miami as well. This is the game that I really like, I, especially when you're getting that that half point there. So if Miami just wins by two touchdowns, we win that bet. Okay, I'll take that all day long. How good of a coach, honestly, is Jimbo Fisher? I mean, I thought DeAndre Francois was like a dark horse potential Heisman candidate last season, and then he got injured, and then this year, kind of, hey, you know, DeAndre Francois, he's good. I, have you even heard of this? Heard this? Heard of this guy all year except for Week One, whenever there was high expectations? Well, Lee, to answer your question, how good of a coach is Jimbo Fisher? Uh, it's seemingly a, a very good one, actually. I, I, I should have put that Kentucky Texas A and M game in here. That's kind of an interesting game. Ooh, yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, I should have. But yeah, you had to get your Iowa Minnesota game I in. I did. So. You know, it's just I I like to rip on the Gophers. It's fun. It makes me feel better. Now I'm starting to understand why you were hesitant on the fourth pick because this next game, Notre Dame minus six at Vatek. This is a fishy you line. You and I man. are fishy line. How so? Explain. I I'm surprised. So Notre Dame is at Virginia Tech. Um, Virginia Tech is without their starting quarterback who broke his leg against ODU. Uh, Virginia Tech lost to Old Dominion a couple weeks ago. Lee Notre Dame, you know, has looked has looked like world beaters the last two weeks. They've beaten, you know, they've gone on the road and they just they destroyed Wake Forest, and then they beat a really solid, good Stanford team by three touchdowns at home last week. Ian Book has completely transformed that offense. 
there's some people who, are, who like who, who are legitimately saying Notre Dame looks like you know one of the more complete teams in the country. Looks you know should be should be considered amongst that elite group along with Clemson and Alabama and Georgia. Um, so it's just weird to me that Notre Dame's only favored by six against Virginia Tech. It's just weird so to me. I, just a moment ago, I said I haven't watched any of these games, so I I don't know what my eyeballs would tell me. But just box score watching, one of the games that I was very uh, high on last week, and we didn't talk about it on this podcast, I like Duke minus five at home against Vatek, and Vatek just rolled Duke. And I've talked about how I think Duke is a kind of a sneaky good team. And looking at this box score, it would seem that Ryan Willis, the new Vatek quarterback, this could be a similar situation to to Ian Book and whoever's in for Rozier now where the starting quarterback was actually kind of awful and the backup guy that's in is pretty darn good. This Willis guy was 17 to 27, 332, three touchdowns on the road at a Duke team who honestly, I'm telling you, that Duke defense is pretty darn good. So this is why this line probably is, is six and boy I you know you got Notre Dame this is a this is actually it's probably more of a difficult game for Notre Dame now without was it Jackson the other starting quarterback yeah. for Vatek that yeah so and you got and you got Notre Dame coming off of you know Grant I'm gonna lean Vatek plus the six right here because you got Notre Dame coming off uh, a, a tough game against Stanford now Vatek big road win come, coming home and a home underdog, a live home underdog probably, and Vatek's got a good defense. So I, I'm i going to lean Vatek plus the six points. Okay, I'll take Notre Dame then. There we go. Yeah, I was I, I was, was going to go in the opposite direction with whatever you did with this pick uh, because I, I – this is this is a game I'm you know if, if I'm actually putting money on it I'm staying far away from this game because I I see that minus six there and it just seems really fishy to me, um, and yeah you know I I didn't see any of that Virginia Tech Duke game but you're right I Virginia Tech destroyed Duke like it wasn't even as close as the score suggested and they won by like three touchdowns, um so. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll, but I, I'm really impressed with Notre Dame, man. Um, and and the, just like how well they went on the road at Wake Forest a couple weeks ago. And I know Wake Forest is not Virginia Tech, but they just had a lot of poise on the road. And they just, they were very work. They stomped them. Yeah, they were just very workmanlike in their performance. And I thought they, they, they just looked like a really well-coached team. And those teams generally do very well on the road. So I, I'm, I'll, I'll go with Notre Dame, although I'm... I don't think you're crazy at all for leaning Virginia Tech here because, like I said, that that line is fishy, and that tells me that Vegas thinks that Virginia Tech might actually be pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, that tells you. I mean, it makes. I bet if uh, is it Joshua Jackson? The other yeah, vo- that's keep, what it was. Keep... It was it's Josh Jackson. Thank you, Josh Jackson. Yeah. I I bet if Josh Jackson starting for Vatek, and this is with me not having seen any any passes from this new Virginia Tech quarterback Willis. Something tells me that if if the other guy's starting, it's it's more it's this this line's probably closer to ten. I mean, it's probably not going to get to ten because it's still it's that would be a ridiculous home, uh, home under or a ridiculous um, road favorite for Notre Dame, especially against a team that's in the top twenty-five. But yeah, uh, I need to get back when I'm done with all these podcasts and I have a little more time. I'm going to watch that that Vatek game and and also I need to watch that Notre Dame game as well. All right, Grant, that's our show for today. A reminder to check out my interview with Dean Blevins. The episode should be right in the same feed. You get every episode of West of Everest. Let us know what you think about us having Dean on the show. As time goes on, like we said earlier in the show, we'd like to get more and more guests on. It's all about timing, and it's all about technology. So stick with us. 
as we continue to try and make West of Everest a high-level product for those who love Oklahoma football. Enjoy OU Texas this Saturday. We'll be back to talk all about it on Monday. For Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.